0: Do you know people that when you talk to them, they're always going to talk to you about their thing? They always have it. So the first person I encountered like this was my sophomore year in college. I moved in with a couple of guys. One of them, Eric Williams. He was a skateboarder, snowboarder, just fun-loving, big personality, just great guy. Just loved hanging out with him, always smiling, always laughing, always up for a good time, Eric Williams. Then halfway through our year, he met a girl. Yeah. And up to this point, Eric Williams was the Taco Bell king. He loved Taco Bell. But the girl he liked, she was vegan. So all of a sudden, I started to notice this difference in Eric and the food that he was eating because he became vegan. So then I would, on occasion, when I could afford it, I would buy a steak and I'd bring it home and I'd be like frying up my steak so excited. And Eric would come in and he'd always say, you gonna eat that dead cow? I'm like, yeah, because you're not, (laughs) right? Why, you want some? Have you changed your mind? Is that good? He's like, do you know how much undigested red meat is in a man's bowel? (laughs) No, buddy, I don't five pounds. Good. Great. Thanks. Do you know how long it takes to digest red meat? No idea, buddy. It takes whatever, 10 days. I said, well, it's not long enough because tomorrow I'm hungry. So I don't think that's right. <laughs> I don't know where you're getting your data because tomorrow morning, it's still go, It's gone. All right. So he just became like this health nut. I'm like, ah, and it was constant. There's these church people. I, I call them mangelists. Have you ever met them? where every problem at church would be solved if men just were more manly, right? Have you met them? Like the problem in church is men just need to be more manly. And so they're always like, uh, men need to be hunting, killing, driving four-wheel drives. What's wrong with you? So I think the, the pinnacle of those guys when it comes to men is Braveheart, right? <laughs> Screaming, fighting. Fires. And I always tell them, listen, I've got five kids. I don't need any more screaming, fighting, or fires. (laughs) I've got plenty of that at my home already. But they're always like, when I talk to them, I know within five minutes, we'll get to the mandalist talk. Or political people. Where you know every time you talk to them, it's gonna be something, you're like, oh, again, right? But here's what it tells me. It tells me what really matters to that person. This topic, this thing, this really matters because they're giving it the most space. I think God's word is very similar to that, that you can see what really matters to God by seeing the amount of space given when the Bible was written out on scrolls that were really expensive. You only put what was important on a scroll. So with that in mind, look at Genesis chapter one. We're studying through Genesis Genesis 1 is the creation of the world. It's the 7 days that divide the church, divide our world, don't they? Everyone has a different take on Genesis. All these debates, all this books after book after book is written on this one chapter. How many verses are in Genesis chapter 1? 31. Turn with me to our chapter today, chapter 24. Let me read a bit so you know what we're talking about. And then look how much space is devoted to this topic. Verse one, chapter 24. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years. If if you didn't get the first time, he's old. Oh, by the way, he's well advanced in years. I don't know if there's difference in that. I think it's funny. He's not just old. He's well advanced in years. Okay. And Yahweh had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, two old dudes hanging out, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. We'll talk about that on Wednesday night. It's a fascinating little statement there. That I may make you swear by Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son, Isaac. Then skip forward because it's hot, to verse 67. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What's the subject of chapter 24? Finding a wife for Isaac. How many verses are given? The entire chapter, the longest chapter in Genesis is all about one thing, finding the right mate, the right match. 31 chapters or 31 verses, I should say, for creation that we get all confused about. And then God gives 67 for finding the right person. Do you know why that is? Because marriage is going to affect your life every hour, every minute, every second. Your individual nuanced interpretation of creation will not. Once you get that God is creator of everything, the rest is just discussion. So God gives this massive chapter to finding the right kind of person to get married to because it's gonna affect your every single day. So listen, if you are planning on getting married, if you have children that eventually will get married, if you wanna help other people that are looking for the right person, pay attention to this message. Because I think in here, you can start gleaning some wisdom that helps you and me make good decisions to help people or make your own decisions find the right kind of person to marry. Now, Wednesday, I'll talk about how there's a danger in what I'm doing right now because, well, that'll be Wednesday, but there is a danger to it. But I think there's wisdom that you can glean wisdom. I'm not saying this is the only way, but I'm thinking this is a way and it's really, really smart. So I've made the whole message around the word match, an acronym, M-A-T-C-H. You Want to find a good match? Pay attention to these five things. Number one is the M. And the M stands for this. Make the gospel your priority. Look at Abraham in verse three. He says this. It's the first thing he says to this servant. This is his number one criteria. This is it. Swear by Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. Number one, he's saying this. I don't want my son marrying a Canaanite. Now this has nothing to do with the ethnic group, the Canaanites. It has everything to do with the religion of the Canaanites. Because the Canaanites at this time, if you study history, had a very different worldview when it came to God. They thought God was angry and ready to crush people. And because of that anger, they would offer sacrifices, including their firstborn child to their gods that they believed in. Abraham believed in Yahweh, who was good and who was generous. Well, that debate there is gonna greatly change a marriage. So Abraham, number one says, make sure and find someone who is of the same mindset when it comes to God for my son, Isaac. The New Testament puts it like this. It says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. If you're a believer in Jesus, make sure you look for someone who's a believer in Jesus to get married to. Because how your spouse thinks about God Jesus, the Bible, is going to transfer into everything you do, how you raise your kids, how you spend your money, what you will be entertained by, what you allow to come into your home, what your priorities are. It's going to shape all those things. So make sure you're on the same page when it comes to who you begin to look for. Make the gospel a priority. I'm going to warn the ladies in here, and here's why. I do some marriage counseling, and I talk to young people about relationships, but I also talk to pastors who are um, doing the same thing. And what I found in talking to them and asking them this question is they see the same trend, not just here in Grants Pass, but across really the country. And it's this it is rare that I see a godly guy with a sorry gal. It's very rare that I see that. Extremely rare. But oh my goodness, if I had a dime for every godly good gal who is now hanging out with, dating just a sorry dude, man, I would be rich. I'd buy a baseball bat and start beating some of them. (laughs) Be careful. Question number one, make the gospel matter. What do you believe about Jesus? And I guarantee this, there'll be some girl that wants to talk to me after service. And this is what she's gonna say. Matt, I'm dating a guy and he's not a believer. And I know what you said, but would you pray for him that he would get saved? Here's my answer now. My answer is this, I'm going to pray that you break up with him until he does, that you make the gospel that kind of priority. You say, I'm not going to date you. I'm not going to hang out with you until you get this question. And then we can talk because the gospel is my priority. You can ask my daughters. I have told them a hundred times. We've had this discussion. I keep saying, find a young man that loves Jesus. I'm going to keep shooting these guys down until you find a young man that loves Jesus over and over and over. When my sons are old enough, I'll start saying the same thing to them. Hey, Elijah, hey, Myron, find a young lady that loves Jesus. But dad, she's hot. Yeah, so is hell. Okay. Big deal. And I've dealt with too many marriages that have made life on earth, a living hell. So number one, Abraham, this wise pursuer of Yahweh says, hey, make the gospel, make the gospel the priority. Do they love Jesus? Question number one. So that's your M. Make the gospel the priority. A, match. A, agenda. Have an agenda. Here's what I mean. In this story, we'll look at it on Wednesday. The servant goes out, he travels a long way and then he's trying to find the right gal. Look what he does, it's verse 12. He said, this is the servant sent by Abraham to find a bride for Isaac. He said, oh, Yahweh, God of my master, Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master, Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water And the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. He has an agenda. He knows what he wants and he prays it. And just to give you a clue, he's asking for something significant. He's saying, I'm here. I'm gonna ask for a drink of water. She's gonna give me a drink of water. She's gonna see my 10 camels and say, I'll get some water for them too. Camels can drink 20 gallons of water each. She's gotta dip her big jar down into, lower it down into a well, pull up, 20 gallons of water for 10 camels. That's 200 gallons. That's 1,600 pounds. He's looking for Miss CrossFit, (laughs) right? (laughs) He's got an agenda. I know what I want. And this is what I'm looking for. You should have a list of qualifications for the person you want to find. And by the way, we put ridiculous things on our list. Um, he needs to be 6'2", 220. Okay, <laughs> you will not care if your dude is 6'2", 220, if he's sitting on a couch playing video games all day and he's a idiot, You will not care. You'll be even more mad at him. You're able and capable. Get up, right? So I will help you with your list. You want to make a list? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I can write it for you. <laughs> Read the book of Proverbs. One chapter a day. Have a notebook, open it up. As you're reading Proverbs, you start writing down the qualities, the wisdom from Proverbs is what I'm looking for. Integrity, honesty, loyalty, hard work, hangs with good godly people. You just start writing, that's your list. That's how you make your list. That's a good list, okay? And really, if you look at what this servant is praying for, that's what he's praying for. He's praying for a young woman that when he asks for a drink will be observant. Hey, if you're thirsty, your camels are probably thirsty. So she's observant. Even more than that, she's willing to work hard because she's going to marry Isaac. Isaac is a farmer. He takes care of livestock. So guess what she'll be doing? Helping him. I want a young lady that's willing to work, willing to do this, volunteering for, that she is a servant. You want a servant. The best spouses are servants. Jesus put it this way. You want to be great in the kingdom? He doesn't say, don't be great. He says, learn to be the servant of all. Great spouses serve each other. He's really asking for, he's really asking for a servant. So you make an agenda and you write it out and you keep going over your agenda. When you're talking to people and meeting potential people, you're bringing your agenda up and up and up. Because if you marry well, here's what happens. That's Ecclesiastes chapter four. The two are better than one. They have a great reward for their labor. Something brilliant happens when two gospel-centered people get married. The kingdom is built and it's incredible and it's awesome. And they live gutsy, adventurous, incredible lives. That's what we want for you. That's what I want for you. I think that's what God wants for you. So have, have an agenda, okay? You have to do this. I tell my girls all the time, it's this. There's something worse than being single. You know what it is? Married to the wrong person. Don't get desperate, all right? And we have to move away from this idea that there is the one out there, that there is a soulmate. I'm looking for my soulmate. Do you know that soulmate does not appear in the Bible? There's no such thing in the Bible. If you're looking for your soulmate, you will find him or her behind the unicorn and the tooth fairy. Good luck. You need to find the right person the right kind of person and your agenda gives you the right kind of person. You keep going over that over and over. Find the right kind of person. Have an agenda. So number one, make the gospel your priority. Number two, have a Proverbs directed agenda. Number three, T, your task. Notice this. I'll read it for you. Verse three, do not take a wife for my son, verse four, but take a wife for my son, verse seven, wife, verse 37, wife, verse 38, wife, verse 40, wife, verse 51, wife, verse 67, wife. What's the task? Find a wife, not a girlfriend. Find a wife, not a girlfriend. Your task as you're making relationships, as you're meeting with people, your task is I want to find a spouse. I'm not going to date because I'm lonely or bored. So we have this thing now today in our culture, I call it this, recreational dating. So it's a a guy who's kind of bored, but the girl really likes the guy. And the guy's like, well, why not? Here's what happens. When the guy decides I'm done with that, the girl's heart is broken because she's more vested in it or the opposite. You know, a guy really likes a girl. She can kind of care less about him. Hey, why not? I'll recreational date this guy. And when it breaks, his heart is broken. You're hurting someone when you do that. We don't date because we're bored or lonely. We're looking for a spouse. And the moment you know that person is not the one you can marry, you break it off to protect them as kindly as you can. But you don't want to get any more deeply in it because someone gets hurt really bad. Well, Matt, should we court then instead? Are you against dating? Should we court? I don't know. I mean, honestly, I used to think courting was it. Now I'm just not sure. I think personally, they're both kind of weird that, that dating is two idiots together and courting is six idiots together. I mean, I don't know, I mean, Figure it out. You got to walk this thing out, pray it out. You know, what, 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 what's your kid like? All those kind of things, no doubt, but I'm not sure. But I know this, the task is you're looking for a spouse. So when I'm talking to a young couple that's together, my first question to that guy or that girl is this, is he, is she marriable? Would you see yourself married? I don't think so. Then get out of it. Yeah, I think he's okay. Then keep trying to evaluate, go back to your agenda, keep doing that. So charity, man, we're not the model of marriage, my wife and I, but I knew within 15 minutes, I'd marry her. Probably 15 seconds, if I'm honest. Please God, right? So the whole time I'm like, I'll marry her, begging God. So your task when you're walking this out is not because you're bored or lonely. Your task is, I'm looking for, I'm looking for the right match. That's what I'm doing. So number one, make the gospel M. Make the gospel your party. Number two, have an agenda. Know what you're looking for. And then number three, your task is a spouse, not recreational dating. Number four, changeable. Be changeable. If you look at verse 51, it says this. It appears that the marriage is good. So the servants now kind of work through this process. We'll look at that on Wednesday, but it worked through this process. And then he says this, I'll go back to verse 50. Then Laban, the brother, and Bethuel, the dad, answered and said, the thing has come from Yahweh. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as Yahweh have spoken. Okay, it's a done deal. If you keep reading all of a sudden, Some time goes by, and then there's more questions. Hey, we're not sure. We're not sure if we should do this. So then the question is asked again. It's verse 58. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. There's a pliability to this relationship. Is it right? Yeah, it seems right. Well, let's reevaluate. We have some more information now. What do you think now? Okay, and they're constantly being Changeable, okay? I think that's really important. And I talk to and counsel people that sometimes are way in, they're engaged, maybe they've got wedding plans, maybe invitations are out. At that point, they're going, I don't know. I'm having doubts now. But Matt, I've set out the invitations. Matt, it's embarrassing. Oh, man. (laughs) Be changeable. Be like, Sarah Cummings. Did you read about her? Uh, Less than a month ago, she had this big wedding planned. She broke it off one week before. Invitations were out. They had made a reservation at the Ritz for $30,000 and it was non-refundable, right? She broke it off. You know what she did with that big dinner? She threw a party for the homeless in her city, gave them suits, invited them in, threw a party for them she did say in the article that her fiance had paid for it all, which is <laughs> hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. man. All right. <laughs> the homeless are eating that food. All right. I love that. That's the way we got to be. That's it. To, to the last moment, right? Because you do not listen to me. You do not marry the person you date. Do you know that? You do not marry the person you date. That guy is on his best behavior. It's what I call the Facebook time where you're posting the best pictures. You're putting forward the best things. You're not saying, hey, by the way, I was fired from my last job for sexual harassment. You're not putting that information out. So you gotta be changeable. You gotta walk this thing out, going back to your agenda, going, checking it over, talking to people, really, really, really looking into that person. And I'll be honest with you, $30,000 is cheap. It's cheap. Talk to people that have gone through a divorce. Just the emotional damage, the financial cost, that's cheap. You get out of it the moment you know that person does not match up. So you be changeable, C. Then lastly, the H, help. Get help. How many people are involved in getting a wife for Isaac? It starts out with dad, right? Dad helps, Get a spouse for his kid, Heverly's Dad helped. (laughs) Get a (laughs) spouse. The servant, the oldest, wisest servant is involved in this. Laban is involved in it. Bethuel is involved in it. There's a group of people that are helping this marriage because marriage is going to be the number Two, biggest decision you make. After you decide who Jesus is and what that means, the next biggest decision in your life that will impact you, the longest chapter in Genesis is marriage. Get help. You should want some help. Talk to everyone. I'm dead serious. I tell people, talk to his ex-girlfriends. Ask what happened there. Talk to his parents. Talk to his boss. Tell him you're going to do it. Hey, you know, I think this is heading in the right direction, but I want to keep being open to direction. Do you mind if I talk? And if he does mind, he's hiding something. You get as much help as you possibly can. Get help staying pure. Get help staying pure. This is where courting does have an advantage. But I'll tell you this, I'll give you a little hint. If you want to stay pure... Don't go rent a movie at 1030 at night and turn off the lights and start cuddling on the couch because one thing leads to another, right? Well, Matt, how do I get to know him? Go to the Dutch house. One thing does not lead to another there. Someone will stop it, right? Someone should, Someone better stop it. That's what you do. You put protection around yourself because if they're the one for you, there's going to be an incredible attraction, right? I got engaged to charity and then I moved to Vanuatu, 8,000 miles away on an island because I needed protection. And there were times I would talk to her on the phone on Fridays and I would hang up the phone. I'd be like, I think I can swim 8,000 miles. I'm going to try, right? So you put protection around yourself to stay pure. Oh, Matt, what's the big deal? Come on. I know he's the one. We're going to get married anyways. Why can't we have sex? I'll tell you why. Number one, people have broken off relationships the day before a wedding. You you don't know until you're married. You get married and then you celebrate. That's the Bible way. Get married and then you celebrate. Here is the underlying reason why. When a man goes physical in a relationship, that's all he thinks about. That's a man's brain. When a man goes physical in a relationship, that's all he thinks about. For the next year, that's all he's gonna think about. So the ability for that man to really know a girl and invest in her soul and invest in her spirit and invest in who she is and her dreams is gone now because all he thinks about is sex. So the Bible says you don't do that. You wait and you know each other intimately so that when you get married, you launch out of that wedding. You launch out of that time. You're not struggling like so often happens to couples because they haven't really invested in each each other's souls and their spirits. They don't really know each other. It's just physical. That's why. So get help on that. Then lastly, get help on this. Come into a relationship full. Don't come into a relationship empty and needy. What I mean you can look at this text, it's awesome. It's John chapter four. Jesus comes to this woman at a well, says, hey, can I get a drink of water? And the woman's like shocked by that because Jews and Samaritans didn't get along at that time. But Jesus doesn't have those distinctions. And so she's like, Well, you know, why are you asking me? And then Jesus says, well, if you knew who I am, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you water that you would never thirst again. And she's like, whoa. Please give me some of that water so I don't have to keep coming to this well that's just exhausting me. And Jesus says, okay, fine. Go call your husband. And she answers, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, that's right. Because you've had five husbands and the man you're living with is not your husband. What was that lady's problem? She had an emptiness in her. She had a man problem five husbands 2,000 years ago in Israel would be like 50 husbands today. I mean, this is, it's just unbelievable. Here's what she was doing. She thought, this guy, this man will satisfy me. This thirst I have, this angst I have, this desperation I have, he'll satisfy me. And, and she gets married. And then guess what happens? He does not satisfy her. So then she says, okay, fine, I'm done with you. It's, a, it's gotta be a different man. Because if you're looking at a man to make you satisfied and he doesn't, what's the problem? The man. So she goes to number two man, he doesn't do it. Number three man, he doesn't do it. Number four man, he doesn't do it. Number five man, he doesn't do it. And how many men in between to the man she's now living with? Nobody knows. She was coming to relationships empty, trying to squeeze from a man something he could never get. That internal fullness that can only come from Jesus. So Jesus says, you got to drink for me first. You got to drink for me first. Because right now you're desperate and you're clingy. And maybe that desperation and maybe that clinginess actually drove the men away from her. Maybe the men were leaving. Because they're like, I can't get out of this thing. I can't do this anymore. I'm out. Something was happening. And it was so broken that Jesus comes and says, you got to fix this problem first. You got to fix me first. That's the problem. Well, how's it happened? Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'm weary of relationships. I'm I'm heavy laden by this thing. Come unto me and I will give you rest unto your very soul. That part of you that's just dissatisfied and anxious and empty. Jesus says, I'll bring peace, rest, fullness. Your cup will overflow. So when you come to a relationship, you're not clingy and desperate you're full and overflowing. And young ladies, I'm gonna tell you, there's nothing more attractive than a young lady who's full, a young lady who knows what she's about, a young lady that understands the gospel. There's nothing more attractive than that. So I tell young people to make it real simple for them. You chase Jesus as hard as you can. And when you're chasing Jesus as hard as you can, look around. And whoever's with you, marry one of those guys. That's what you do. You go on the mission field. You volunteer at the pregnancy care center. You're just chasing Jesus. And whoever can keep up with you, man, that's the person that you marry. And it'll be a marriage made in heaven, a match. So make the gospel a priority. Have an agenda. <laughs> Have an agenda. Don't recreational date. Your task as a spouse. You're changeable the whole time. You're getting help on it. And watch and see the wisdom that comes from that. And if you're here today, and maybe your problem is you feel like the woman at the well. I have a dissatisfaction. I'm empty. That's my problem. Jesus makes the same offer to you today. Come and drink of me. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'm weary and I'm heavy laden with life. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest to your very soul. Come, learn of me. Take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what Jesus promises us. So maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to come up here and you can get prayer. We'll have people right down here praying. But maybe you need to be baptized. Because baptism is this. Baptism is really saying, I want to be filled with Jesus. We're saved by grace, no doubt. Baptism does not save you, but baptism is commanded in the Bible. It's a way of just saying, I completely surrender to you, Jesus. Dunk me in these waters backwards. I'm dying so that you might live through me. Maybe you need to make that decision today. So we offer both of those things. Get prayer about weariness or heavy ladenness or maybe relationship stuff. Man, there's no tougher thing when you're single than relationships. And then when you get married, there's no tougher thing than parenting. So welcome to marriage. But we have a parenting seminar. Seminar, You heard about that, right? Brilliant. I cannot wait for it. But today, get prayer right here or be Baptized and be filled, get the water that actually satisfies the deepest part of you so that your cup runs over. So Jesus, I pray for those in here who feel like the woman at the well. Maybe there's relational damage in them, poor choices like we've all made. I'm so thankful that Jesus, you took a particular route to meet a hurting woman to bring comfort and satisfaction to her. That you are so kind and so compassionate and you are so compelled by your love for us that you come after us. I pray that any in here who feel like her would know how much you love them how willing you are to fill them and reshape them. I pray for young people who are making decisions that will affect the rest of their lives. I pray that the gospel would be being a priority. I pray that they would have agendas, that their task would be for a spouse, that they'd be changeable and moldable and that they would get help in this process. And the marriages that come out of Edgewater would be beautiful, incredible demonstrations of the gospel. That the love that's between a husband and a wife would look just like your love for the church, as Ephesians 5 says. I pray for married couples in here. I pray that we would not cease in these things, that we'd continue to read Proverbs to become the kind of people our spouses deserve. Loyal, honest loving, compassionate, running with a strong crowd, that we would be chasing you as well. So fill and empower us by your spirit. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. And now we pray that we would partner with those truths and run hard after you this week. And that you would bring rest to our souls. And that we'd take your yoke and your burden. And it would be a beautiful, incredible quest, gutsy, and alive. So go with us, I pray. And I ask this in your name, amen. God bless you guys.